I remember looking at my bank account balance and going, great, I've achieved it, now what? And it was just like the room went silent. And I realized I'd subconsciously been chasing a carrot, but ultimately I'd achieved the carrot and the carrot didn't taste great. It caused me to realign what wealth looked like. And it set me on a journey of kind of realigning my priorities in life. And wealth started going down the path of my health, my happiness, my family, my friends, my time, my spirituality. And so I went through a period of like maybe two years, two and a half years of depression, where I found myself lost and my business suffered and poor staff around me probably felt that. And that knock-on effect really set me on a path of trying to work out why am I running this business? Do I even want this business? What do I want to do with my life? And I ended up in a journey of sort of discovering that in many ways. Dave, welcome to the Deeper Knowing Podcast. Thanks for having me, Vendi. I mean, you need to look a bit more excited. Okay, sorry. <laughs> It's the, it's the typical British calm energy, you know, it's just the way it is if you're English. We are excited on the inside, we just maybe don't express it so much on the outside. I love it. So as you're mentioning, you're based in the UK and I probably met you about 10 years ago in Bournemouth, which is where I was studying at a time and you were a youth pastor at that time in one of the local churches. So today I really want to dive into different topics from really like talking about consciousness and spirituality to also, I mean, Dave, you've been running a very successful e-commerce business for 19 years now. So I want to understand the business side of things and yeah, how, how do we actually value what's important in life? So maybe I'd love to start with unpacking how does one run a business, an e-commerce business successfully for such a long time? Because there are many people who will, you know, pop up and they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to do some drop shipping or whatever. They're like that thing for three years and it just disappears. So 19 years is a very solid run for a business of that type. So let us in on some foundational strategies there of actually going for such a long time. Okay. Well, I think, I mean, when I started my e-commerce business, it wasn't fashionable. Okay. Um, you know, nowadays we have all these things on social media about doing a drop shipping business, you know, these TikTok videos, you know, make loads of money, stay in your bed, do nothing. And um, they're just, you know, maybe it's possible, but I find it very unrealistic. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it does make me laugh. And, and now it's very fashionable and everyone's like, oh, you run an e-commerce business. But back then it definitely wasn't. Um, I think for me, it was, I think the first thing is you've got to start with a good idea. And the best way of spotting a good idea is it nags you. Like I would have maybe 20, 30 ideas, but there'd always be like one or two of those ideas that would keep nagging me for a longer period of time. And if they kept nagging me, I'd recognize there's something here that I need to look into of more substance. So I'd say the first aspect of things was uh, identifying when you're looking at building a, an e-commerce business or any business actually, it's, it's finding an idea or something that's a need that hasn't yet been met that it keeps eating away. You're like, oh, someone needs to do this. Someone needs to do this. Someone needs to do this. Okay, so and, what was nagging you? I want to get specific. What was nagging you at that time? Well, I mean, so it started off with uh, what nagged me was the amount of people nagging me literally on the street. Uh, okay. You laugh, but basically my best friend came back with a pair of Heelys from America. I don't know if you've come across Heelys. They're like nope. a shoe with a wheel in the back and you can remove the wheel and okay, you, you walk on them it. and you lift your foot and you can roll on them. Nice. And uh, so he came back from America and... I love what he, I had to play with them. I'm like, these are amazing. I ended up getting a pair myself and they were really hard to get hold of. You had to go to America to get them. And my dad happened to be going out to America for a business trip. So I was like, dad, get me one of these. 
Um, and this is before they were kids' shoes, you know. I was like, there was no rule to these. These were just a new thing, like in line skates. I'm not judging, Dave. It's okay. You can roll around. I know you're free to judge. I'm, I'm basically a big kid anyway, so I'm quite happy to admit it. Um, anyway, so me and my best mate, Chris, at the time, we used to whiz around Southampton on our heelys thinking we were the coolest things ever. And everywhere, people would stop us and go, where do you get these things from? What are they? And all the kids would just be staring at them everywhere we go. And uh, anyway, I would just be like, oh, yeah, they're cool. We got from America. They're fun, blah, blah, blah. Didn't think anything of it. And then, like, one day, the penny dropped. And I went, hang on. Nobody's actually doing this in the UK, selling these. But they're so infectious. Everywhere I go, people ask me. Yeah. So anyway, long story short, um, I reached out to the original inventor of Healy's and said, hey, uh, I would love to sell them in the UK. I can't see anybody selling them. And the inventor very helpfully responded and said, well, actually, we'd love to have you, potentially, but you need X amount of money, which I had nothing like it. I had no money. Um, I didn't come from a wealthy background or anything. And uh, and they said, yeah, you can, you can do it, but you need to be a distributor and you need X amount of money. And I was like, well, I don't have that. So they said to me, well, when we have a distributor in place, you can be our first retailer. So I ended up being contacted by the distributor in the UK who were based off of Bristol about four or five months later. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't even know how to drive at that point in time. I was very young, uh, got my backpack, got on the train from Southampton, got up to Bristol, got picked up in the Mercedes of the MD of that company. So he drives me in his Mercedes. I'm thinking, oh, I feel so out of place here. This is just like, this is just hilarious. Get to their offices and uh, I sit down with them and, I, and the guy, guy's name was Charlie and he had another guy under him, Mark. And I sat down with them and I said, look, you guys have just taken on the distribution for this fantastic product called Healy's. And uh, I think they're going to get huge. I've been what, using them myself. I think they're a fantastic product, but I'm really good at internet retail stuff. I, I've done some stuff with my father. He's, he's quite nerdy and techy. And I said, look, I think internet retail is going to grow hugely. Um, and I think Healy's will come alongside that and grow hugely because they're so visually engaging. I think if we can market this right, we can get this really big through the internet. Anyway, long story short, I was in my little backpack. I opened up my little laptop, showed them this little basic website. And, and at the time, I didn't know what they thought. Anyway, a few years goes on, and they did end up offering me a dealership. I was the very first shop for selling them in the UK. And uh, I grew that website to become the biggest shop in the UK for Heelys. In fact, we were selling more Heelys than all of the entertainer stores in the UK combined. If you know what the entertainer stores, they have a big chain all through the UK for different toys for kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was selling it more through my internet web website than they were. And I created a very good sort of infectious way of getting people, my own customers to market me. Um, yeah. And so that had been a very good way of growing my business. Um, and that was so much fun. Um, and a few years later, I got told by, by the MD and the guy under him, Mark, apparently when I left the office, the apparently everyone in the office basically laughed at me yeah. and Mark, who yeah. was the, the assistant to Charlie, who was the MD there said, well, Charlie, you've got two options. He's either crazy or he's a genius. We should try and find out which because we've got nothing to lose. Yeah. And he told me this after they'd received the biggest payment they'd ever received as a company in 30 years of their business running from myself. So he's yeah, like, I've yeah. got to tell you this story now because it's a fun story. So that was kind of this journey of how I started in e-commerce. Yeah. Um, however, to last 19 years in e-commerce, it requires a different set of skills completely. You've got to learn people's skills. I was at awful manager at the beginning i'm sure some of my poor staff would hate me back in the day i was very like i was very so driven so driven and that's great but 
a lot of people are not as driven as me and I just try and literally try and get them to be as driven. I just couldn't get, understand why they weren't. And I, I really did lacked emotional awareness, emotional intelligence, which is so hugely important when you're managing people because mm -hmm. you want them to come on the journey with you. And to do that requires emotional intelligence. Um, so really had to learn a lot more about emotional awareness, how to engage with people, be present with the people, listen to them understand their needs, why they're doing the job, what they're wanting out of life, and really coming from a completely different angle, a very unselfish angle. Um, because mm -hmm. if you want people to, you want to win their hearts, not just their minds. And you know, you can motivate someone with money, or but if you can motivate their heart, that will change the way someone works for you. And uh, the goal in my business is to try and encourage my team to work from that place. So I think, first of all, learning how to manage people was one of the biggest and toughest challenges. Um, and I definitely made some huge mistakes the way. And I, I apologize now to my poor staff when I first started managing. I was terrible. So I hold my hands up now. Um, I'd like to sound a bit better now. I mean, I'm sure my staff will say otherwise, but <laughs> not many of them have left in a number of years now. So I must be doing okay. I was saying, team Dave, please comment below. We want to know or send me a private message. I want to hear if you're not going to say this publicly, how is Dave doing? <laughs> Let us know in the comments, please. Oh dear, it'd be like trust style, trust pilot, one star reviews. No, I'm joking. Um, no, no, I don't believe anyway, that. so um, the second thing really was innovation and continuing to innovate. So Healy's as a product had a huge upline and then it had a massive decline. And I had a choice at that point in time. Uh, I was considering going into, I'm a Christian by background and uh, I really wanted to influence the world in that aspect of things. So I got involved with Christian ministry and I had a decision at that my in my mid-20s to decide whether I continue growing my business and innovate further or I shut it down, make the money and get out. At that point in time, I, I prayed about it and I felt, no, I need to stay in business. But I also carried on doing ministry stuff on the side as well and got involved with a church that was doing some really cool stuff and seeing loads of cool miracles. We saw um, and verifiable ones as well. People I actually knew personally who had back problems, getting healed from 20 years of sciatica and uh, people who were nurses themselves with me and you could test that you know you do things like balance on one leg to test your muscles for me and things like that and you could do medical tests and prove that someone actually had been healed and there was a number of amazing miracles and healings that happened during that time so i had a bit of a decision time in my mid-20s to decide whether to carry on doing business doing ministry and I, at the time i just felt i'm going to try and do both which was too ambitious looking back but you know i, I remember one time driving up to birmingham regularly uh, i'd get up get up at like i finished work at 5 p.m drive up to birmingham I'd help run a meeting from 8 p.m. to maybe like 11 p.m. And then I'd drive back, get back at 2 in the morning, sleep till 9, work from 9 till 5, do the same again every day. And I did this for like the six 20s months. are four. Uh, <laughs> it was crazy. And, and to be honest, it was one of the best moments of six months of my life. I had this amazing church that I got connected with up in Birmingham. And we saw this huge, like, bunch of people going there. So that was fun. But linked back to the business question of how do I innovate and how do I continue running things for 19 years? Um, the next stage was, well, what do I do next? Where do I go next? And so diversification in any business is really important. So I recognized I've made a loan of money. I needed to reinvest that. So I bought myself a warehouse. Um, mm. I've always worked on a no debt business model, which is a very unusual thing in modern day culture to run. Um, but it has proven over the years to be a lot more stable. There's so many businesses that gear themselves into debt to try and get growth mm. and um, if you're doing a completely industry displacing model, something like Airbnb or PayPal when it first existed, where you're completely changing the way culture and life is done, having VCs and business models behind that to build something like that is really worthwhile. But if it's not something that's completely industry displacing, 
putting yourself in debt and getting VCs involved or putting yourself and gearing yourself to debt can be very, very risky. And more often than not, actually is part of the problem in causing your business to fail rather than grow. Um, so having a no debt model was one thing that was important to me. Um, and then diversifying into other areas. So I went into uh, skateboards, scooters, roller skates, all these other wheeled sports that linked back, linked to, uh, to Healy's and similar suppliers as well. So had the relationships, it was like the natural step into other things. So I launched a new website, went into those areas, applied the same principles that I'd done with Healy's and sort of more nurtured that business through more organic growth and ran that for a good uh, 12, 13 years from that point. I'm still running it to this day. Um, yeah. And during that time, also jumped on things that I didn't expect. So my, my business was very focused on roller skates and skateboards, particularly roller skates and inline skates and that kind of thing. And then we started selling a few scooters and uh, the stunt move, stunt scooter market came along. So we innovated and moved into stunt scooters. And so loads of kids were going down the skate parks and they were customizing their scooter and wanting to ride on ramps and do these cool things and do all these crazy backflips and all sorts. So, and I used to be a skateboarder when I was younger as well. So I totally got like that mentality of wanting to push yourself and do these crazy tricks. Um, so kind of helped really grow that industry in the UK. Um, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, in more recent years, recognized that world sports is going to, that same sort of thing with, with world sports, it would be up and down a lot. So you'd have to really manage the right ordering, not holding too much stock. Um, but then jumping on loads of stock when the market was going up. So you'd have to spot when the market's going up and when they're going down, just like a trader would in crypto or in shares or whatever. Um, okay. So then after that, I recognized during COVID, everybody was buying Heelys, sorry, buying skateboard scooters because Boris had gone, hey, the only exercise you can do and go outside is by buying something and doing something active. So people were going running or playing football yeah. or yeah. going roller skating. So we sold crazy amounts during COVID. And that was great fun, but it was an awful lot of work. Um, so whilst everybody else was lazing at home, not doing much, I was working 16, 17 hour days. Um, I even had to be one of the warehouse guys for a while. So I was doing about 16 pallets a day. I remember at one point, just sorting it all out in the warehouse with my team. So being willing as a boss to be humble is another really important thing. Not thinking you're too important, even though your position might be senior, never being too important to step into those more lower, lower, lower level roles within the company. Because, and not seeing them as a low level role, but seeing them as just as important key to the machine that needs to work and honoring the people in those positions, um, I would say is super important. That was something I'd say for me that was a really important thing. So diversification. And during COVID, I also recognized that once COVID ended, nobody would want roller skates for a while because they'd all bought them during COVID. So I spent some of my time during that period looking at what I could move into. So we moved into the badminton sports and we moved into tennis and moved into other racket sports. So we now have uh, two other racket sports businesses, one in badminton, one in tennis. Uh, the tennis one is only nine months old, to give you an idea. So how young that one is right now. Badminton's yeah. about three years old. And we diversified into those areas. I partly did that because I, I'm a badminton player myself. So I knew and understood what I was doing. Uh, I played at quite high level. I, and I understand what players need. And I realized that the websites that were doing that weren't maybe delivering it the way that I would recommend it or I would want it to understand mm -hmm. what I needed to buy. So we went about trying to develop something different to achieve something new to help contribute to the badminton community. And then that's followed on into the, the tennis community and applying all the skill sets we'd applied in the skate business and the Healy's business. So to ask how did I last for 19 years, it was basically about jumping on the trends, pivoting into new things, 
and then diversifying and all that together and running on a no debt model. So only reinvesting what you could afford to invest, which sometimes meant making really tough decisions, like making people redundant, people you liked as well, you know, and being really honest with people and carrying people on that journey. And that's sometimes really delicate. So, but how have I stayed that long? Probably that way by, by keeping debt low uh, or zero or working on a sort of really sort of working on a very long-term approach. So I I train all my staff to make long-term decisions. I never want them making short-term decisions. I'm like, no, we're buying, we're doing, building this for the next 20 years. So think, is this going to last in 20 years time? And, uh, that sounds an unusual way to teach your staff, but it's, it does work because they end up making better decisions for the business and ultimately the benefits them, their careers, business grows, their careers grow, their earnings grow. So it's, it's hopefully mutually beneficial for everyone by choosing that path. You're sharing so much and I'm gonna take you back to the baby version of Dave who showed this website. So I wanna, cause you were like, okay, I've showed us the website. We're gonna sell this on the internet. Right. And I, I wanna remind everyone, it wasn't a thing back then. No, so the, yeah, so the dot-com crash had just happened, just to give you an idea. Okay. So the okay. Amazon had nearly gone bust. We had, I think it was like this one called jungle, jungle.com. There was elephant something. There was all these crazy websites, all these crazy investors trying to be Amazon and they'd all gone bust and realized, okay. oh, the internet's not going to be a success when nobody favored it. And the nobody couriers cares. didn't even know how to deliver properly. So I remember yeah. when I started up the business, I, I remember selling my very first pair of Heelys, running down the stairs, jumping up and down. I sold my first pair. And then my yeah. mom was like, well, how are you going to get it delivered? And I'm like, uh. I was like, I'll go to the post office. So I remember going to the post office, packaging this pair of Heelys and putting the package, handwriting, and then putting it in just, you know, very, very back of the bed. And it literally was back of the bedroom when I started. I had like a few pairs of Heelys and then every time I'd sell them and then ended up being one shed in the garden, then two sheds in the garden. Then my, my poor mother and father had to put up with three sheds in the garden. And at that point they were like, no more sheds. You need to get a unit. Um, and then it was one little unit and then two little units, and then three little units. And then I was like, I can't keep renting units. I need to buy something. So I bought this giant place. So yeah, yeah that, yeah. If that answers a, a little bit of baby David and what that looked like. It's, I mean, I for sure can hear the massive drive, the excitement, and also like really being able to spot these opportunities and like, Hey, this is not here. And like literally changing on a spot and being so, so, so in tune with the market. And I'm curious, like what? Because I can for sure see you guys kicking off and picking, you know, like picking up around that time because nobody was doing it. But like, did anything change when this became a thing or a trend? Like everyone's dropshitting, like everyone's like hopping into this e-commerce industry. Did you feel a big shift of like, let's say a lot more people stepping into it or it didn't affect you too much? Because again, you guys totally started it, but then suddenly everyone was like, oh, this is a thing. So right. let's hold on and see if we can basically steal some market share. So I think the really important thing with these things is you've got to know your strengths and what you're not good at as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of the drop shipping thing, you know, that was driven by Amazon trying to grow their business and their third party business. So um, there was a big marketing campaign from their end to try and make that happen. Yeah. And um, I think, yes, I mean, it does affect you for sure. Um, but I think you have to find your niche or your need that you're trying to meet that's unique to you that can't easily be copied. Now, if all you want to do is just sell a standard t-shirt, a standard white t-shirt on Amazon or on the internet, you're not going to do well because there's a hundred other people doing it and the margins are going to be miniature. So you have to find your little niche. You have to find your edge. You have to find what they call in business USP, unique selling point. And, uh, and you have to do it well, uh, better than other people. 
So it's definitely got a lot more competitive. The margins are a lot tighter than they used to be. So you, you do have to think, do things like sourcing from China more, um, pushing from discounts with your suppliers more, um, trying to be shrewd about what stock you hold, what stock you don't, making sure you're cutting costs. So one thing I do in my business every year is I look at every cost in my business, staffing, subscriptions, websites, everything. I review every cost every year and I look at my whole list and identify which ones are essential, which ones are changeable or maybe could be changed to a different system that could be more efficient or more cost effective or stuff that's just like redundant and actually i think we need it but actually if i took it away we're not going to miss it um and i remember going through a period where the business was going downhill actually we had a year where we were making a bit of losses and it wasn't fun and uh i remember being a bit worried thinking oh god i feel like out of control here and um i sat down and worked out all my costings and i realized like i could save about 100 over 100 grand a year if i made these various different changes and some of them weren't fun. Um, but when I did all those changes, we were back to profitability again, even though our turnover was lower. So again, that's something to be sustainable for 19 years. You know, go back to that first question. That was something that I would do as well, cost cutting, which yeah. isn't the fun part of the job, but it does need to happen when you're a boss. Because I imagine that typically the biggest costs are people. So yeah. that is that not so fun part. And I mean, it feels like you... And that's, we had a conversation before we start recording this, like, you know, you're very good when you're thrown in a deep end because you had no idea what this industry is, what you're going to do. You have these first sales, the man is growing, you have to hire a brand new team. So how did it, because there are a lot of, let's say, business owners who are working by themselves, maybe have a virtual assistant or just like some help outside, but they're like, okay, I need, really need to bring people in. So with all your experience in this day, and you said, maybe I wasn't the best boss when I just got started. So yeah. when you are bringing, what are those first people you would say somebody needs to be bringing in? And how do you, how do you know it's the right time? Because as you're saying, like the letting go decisions are not fun. And we do have the expectation, like, oh, I'm just going to hire another me. And this person is going to work 16 hours a day, won't they? <laughs> they don't want a life. They're just excited about this as I am. No? <laughs> yeah, right. So share some of your wisdom there. Well, I think my first piece of advice is don't hire your friends. That was one of my big mistakes. I actually hired some school friends who I knew. And looking back, I think that actually damaged my friendships because yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. I was expecting it, it grade the boundaries. So have really clear boundaries with the people you recruit um, yeah. and what you expect of them, what not to. Um, so, yeah, I think like that was definitely one of my regrets looking back, I think, feeling like I didn't honor. And it, I think also it was really hard for my friends because they saw my business growing and I think they kind of, you know, it made them feel left behind because here I am building this business and it's been really successful and they could see I was earning some serious money and yeah. you could see there was things like jealousy that came in. So my, my honest opinion is don't hire your friends, um, even if you love them to bits. And I, I, I mean, they were great, but it definitely did create some tension that could have been avoided looking back. So yeah. um, when is the right time to hire someone? I think that comes down to two questions. What your vision is for your business, like where are you trying to take it? Uh, Number two, probably what you can afford or not afford and the level of need you have for that person or that skill set. Um, so if you're like in desperate need of this person or that person coming in is an expert in marketing, for example, and they can double the size of your sales by coming in, which will pay for themselves. Sometimes it is yeah. wise to speculate to accumulate. So for yeah. example, in my business right now, we're, we're currently trying to work, hire someone in marketing to help us in a certain area. And commercially, it may not make sense to hire them, but I know in a year's time, the benefit of having them hired will outweigh the cost of having them because I know what they will do and how they will achieve it, and that will pay for itself. 
Um, so I think you have to ask yourself the vision, your affordability, and the level of need. So those three questions to help you decide. And that's something you're going to have to negotiate yourself. I, I can't tell you it's not a black and white answer. It's something for me, I have recruited people too late. Looking back, mm. I just got to the point where I was that desperate. Like I was mm. working Saturdays and Sunday. I was working every day of the week. I remember one morning taking phone calls and it was like 11 a.m. And I had 70 voicemails, let alone missed calls on my phone. I was overwhelmed completely. Um, I mean, I was a victim of my own success, which is obviously wonderful, but yeah. I... I needed to prioritize my time hiring people than trying to manage it all myself and hold that control, which is what I did for a long time. And looking back, it would have been better to let go a bit sooner. Um, but with that, you have to learn what to let go of and what not to, and also what you need. So do ask yourself if you do want to recruit people, be very clear about what you need. Richard Branson is a fantastic coach in this. I, I read some of his stuff and what he does, he brings people around him that are better than him in areas yeah. where he's weak. And yeah. I think securing great leaders what they do is they bring people around them that actually expose them but they're not afraid of being exposed because actually you can really honor that person i've got, I've got this i've got some fantastic stuff under me and i'll be honest i'll happily admit they're better than me in some areas and i don't mind in the slightest in fact i'll honor them for it and i praise them for yeah. it and i encourage them to keep doing that because that's their specialism and that's their place and also means they feel value they know they have a sense of control and confidence and value that they bring which gives them the affirmation in a way that you need being in a job you know a lot of men particularly men not so much women but particularly men we, we do put our identity in what we do even if that's not healthy in my opinion that's not healthy but a lot of men do it so you know having someone who feels like they can contribute something that has value is huge for a man um not not trying to be sexist women are the same as well of course but you get my point i get it that's fine <laughs> people get too, too sensitive these days of like oh i said <laughs> like just people come down <laughs> but two things I want to touch upon one uh you're like okay see what you can afford um so in terms of let's say cash flow and again your experience with business there's like really good periods there's seasons when things are going down like in terms of cash flow like money in the bank the runway you need to have to feel somewhat secure do you have like any advice on that like okay I have this much runway in the business I know I can get hire someone because you ultimately don't know if they're going to be worth it or not. If yep. they're going to make, you know, one year from now, okay, maybe they're bringing you money in, but like, can you actually afford them for that period of time? So there's probably all those considerations and you don't want to put someone in a position where you're like six months later, you're like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't think I can keep you. Not that you're doing a bad job, but the cash flow is not there. And cash flow again is the biggest thing yep. in most businesses. So would love some of your insights there. Well, I think the first thing is actually to address your own inner emotional level. That sounds like a really weird thing to answer your question by saying, but I'm going to say this. Check your ego. Mm -hmm. So many people want to be bosses. So many people want to be managers. So many people want to build identity around being important. And some people do that by going, hey, I've got a business or hey, I've got this success. And I think it's so important, number one, to make your decision out of a place of pragmatism and not ego. Mm -hmm. um, and I've definitely been in a situation where I, I remember I invested in a business a few years ago and it, it, didn't, it wasn't successful. And unfortunately, the people I hired, their egos were so intertwined with the business that we were trying to build together that actually got in the way of the reality of trying to be pragmatic and build a business. And actually, it's caused the business to fail. Um, so uh, I would like to say really one really important factor is in the middle of all this is to factor that in before you hire anybody. Why are you hiring them? Is this about you or is it because the business actually needs it? And if it's about you, stop yourself, keep yourself accountable. 
and ask yourself why. Ask yourself your why, it's so important. Even when you're trying to launch a business or run a business, ask yourself, why am I doing this? Because a lot of people, you have to understand, you set up a business to serve you, not you serve the business. But sometimes the business grows and you end up serving the business and you're not looking after your own life. I, I fell victim to this, a lot of, people, a lot of business owners do. Yeah. And it's so important to understand your why in life in every area, in business, in every other area outside that as well. And I'd say like in the same area of recruitment, you need to ask yourself the why first. Um, in terms of cash flow, uh, obviously learning how to do cash flow forecasting is always a great idea. So I definitely recommend that. Yeah. Um, uh, outside of that, I would say it's going to sound a bit cliche and I kind of not great advice if I'm honest, but it's how it worked for me. I also go with my gut feeling and I generally, from my experience, that's something I've been good at and quite intuitive. I'm probably more intuitive than most directors, MDs, but that's because of the way my brain is wired. Um, so I, if I didn't have peace about something or I didn't feel quite right, I would hold back. I'd wait till something was obvious. I often make decisions in business when it's really obvious. And if I'm not sure, I hold back. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'd make a decision that I wasn't sure about, that would sometimes bite me in the butt later on. Whereas when I was like certain about something, it was almost always a success. So I would say like, check your gut. Now those are kind of like, both of those things I've just given you are very like not yeah. factual ABC things. The cash flow forecasting is an ABC thing and applying that logic is important. And that may affect your emotions as well and your decisions. So I think the two together, applying logic, but also checking your emotions, your well-being, your identity, and why you're doing it is those two. The, the two aligned. The two two sides of the same coin. So you can apply the practical aspect, but you also need to apply the the deeper level understanding of why you're doing something. I'm curious. How do you feel about uh, employees versus contractors, especially at the beginning when you're bringing someone on? Because you know when you do sign an employee, like you're taking on a lot of responsibility um also for them like they are they're there because they they want to provide for their families they want to grow in their career so i don't know i sometimes feel like maybe experiment with a contractor and see if you actually have a, like how much how many hours a week or month you're going to be using the person and if it's getting close to full time that makes sense it's going to actually be more cost effective to bring on an employee so there's kind of two options there um, have you played around with just having contractors on versus employees? Like what's your experience there? Um, yeah, I have. first of all, yes, I have. Um, I would say it depends on the area that you're okay. working with them and also the industry you're in. Some industries are very contract focused. Some are very employee focused. Um, I've had web designers or developers work with us. I've had marketing agencies work with us, contractors, both independent and bigger companies that have served corps as well. And I would say, Contractors for me are higher maintenance because you have to keep them much more accountable in my experience because they're usually great at the start because you have a very clear like boundary line of this is what we want to achieve. But then, you know, as the business goes on and the contract, contract continues running, if you take your eye off the ball, it's very easy for the contractor to get away with a lot. And I can definitely say from personal experience, I've made that mistake myself of, of, uh, of being too relaxed about that and just trusting that the way they did it before is the same, same way. And contractors, there is a greater level of accountability because they know they can be dropped at any point as well, though. So uh, there's a benefit to it as well. Employees, I mean, I, I can only call, I'm talking in the context of UK law, not in terms of employment law elsewhere in the world. But UK law does give you a lot of flexibility as an employer to potentially hire someone and effectively have them almost on probation for up to two years before actually yeah. there's a lot more process driven things that you need to do from an HR perspective before you let someone go. 
And usually after about six months, you can pretty much tell if someone's invested. I would say if you're trying to build something long-term, having employees is better because you build a community, especially if you have a bunch of employees, which become friends. So one of our staff got married this summer and you know what? His best man was one of my other staff and his other groomsmen were other members of the team. So like they're very, very close friends. And, and that also keeps them wanting to stay with the business because they're working yeah. with their friends. So like, you know, they might be offered a job somewhere else, but because they've built such close friendships and they get to spend their days with their friends, you end up with a community that you've built and a culture of honor and love and connection and friendship and community that you maybe don't get with contractors. So again, it comes down to what you're trying to build. In my case, we have a fixed location where we have a warehouse where we send stuff out from and we stock the stuff. So the guys are always seeing physically, you know, they're with each other in the office right now as we speak. Um, and if you can build that kind of community, that's amazing. Uh, obviously that's a challenge to get to that point. Um, and that is a journey you have to go on if you're trying to build a long-term business. If it's something shorter term or it's something you want to test the waters with, I think contractors are great though. So there's a, there's, I'd say it's horses for courses. The English saying is horses for courses. You put the right horse on the right course and it'll do great. Put it on the wrong course and it'll be rubbish. So you don't put a hundred meter sprinter if you're going doing a marathon and vice versa. Makes sense. Never heard of that saying before, but hey, I'm learning as well. <laughs> English, cheesy oh. English saying, sorry. I, I'll get my cup of tea out in a minute. No, I, I beautiful, please do. Um, just a quick question there. Why did you feel like, okay, well, if I'm not really monitoring a contractor as much, they're more likely to drop a ball. How is it different with an employee that you're really not giving feedback to and guidance to what you're expecting? Is it just like a contractor is typically more expensive and that's why you're like, oh, they dropped the ball so it hurts more? Like, I'm trying to understand how is it different? Because ultimately you you have to guide a team no matter what, right? Otherwise they're just floating and be like, oh, I'm just going to do whatever I think the business needs. I don't know. <laughs> like, simply, simply put, having an employee, it's easier to communicate. A contractor has loads of other commitments to other people as well. Um, so you're, you don't know if you're number one on their priority list or number 10. And whoever screams loudest as a client, if you're a contractor, you're probably going to serve more. Uh, not necessarily who provides the most money, but the one who screams the loudest. Yeah. And the truth is, I don't want to be fighting to scream louder than everyone else. Um, I want to be able to spear, say my word, them to respect me, take it on board and do it. Um, so, yeah, the communication is the difference, I would say. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And bringing this back to baby Dave, who in his 20s was already running, you know, like e-commerce business, things are happening. You're hiring a team. The business is growing. Like I know, and I'm not going to mention a specific number, but we've had private conversations about this where you said like, I had a goal for myself in the business in terms of how much cash flow I want to have in a bank, what I want to achieve. And like, I've worked all these years for it. You set yourself the 16 hour days, the 17 hour days, like waking up super early and you like spent years working out to this big thing that you want so badly. Like, this is the thing, like once I'm going to get there, surely I'm going to be super happy. And you shared with me that the moment you hit that milestone financially, you just got depressed mm. and that was like when I heard that I was like oh my god like this is isn't this most of us we're like working so hard towards a goal and we get it and we're like what's the point what's the point of life <laughs> why did I need this in the first place so I would love to dive in there because I think we're not particularly uh, great at knowing what is it that we actually want we are very much influenced by culture of like once you have x on y and z you're gonna be happy or whatever I don't think we I don't know what's the expectation. We just like, we have a goal, we get there, and it's just not what we expected. So what happened? Okay, well, first of all, let me take you back to that time. That, that was probably maybe, maybe 10 years ago for me. 
and I hit a certain goal that I'd set myself. I'd always wanted to set myself, and I remember hitting that goal. And I remember looking at my bank account balance, and going, "Great, I've achieved it. Now what?" And it was just like the room went silent, and everything felt hollow. I've never been that money orientated, so. I don't think I probably had the same effect, but it was a subconscious thing. I didn't even realize I did. You know, I've never been particularly materialistic, but it was like, oh, when I get it, for me, what motivates me is nurturing and growth. It's not actually money at all. Um, and even then it was nurturing and growth. But I, I think even in my own heart, when I thought, well, I've nurtured and growth, grown things to a certain size or to a certain level, I feel more fulfilled. And actually, I remember hitting that level. And I remember even the moment I looked at the screen and I looked at the the bank balance and I went, oh good, I've got there. And it was just silence in the room. That's the only way I can describe it. And I just remember sitting there thinking, what now? And I suddenly realized I'd been following, I'd not even consciously been doing it actually. I, I, you know, some people, they're like, I want to be this by this age and this by that age. And I'd not even consciously done it, but I'd subconsciously done it. And I realized I'd subconsciously been chasing a carrot and they ultimately I'd achieved the carrot and the carrot didn't taste great. Mm. And that set me on a path of, you know, when, when you find, you find, you, when, in anything in life, when you finally achieve a goal, maybe you want to be married, maybe you want children, maybe you want to go on certain travels to certain countries, maybe you want to spiritually connect in a certain way or discover a certain thing. Maybe, you know, you're there to try and find friendships or community or whatever that looks like. You know, as human beings, we so often dangle the carrots in front of our heart to try and make us feel a sense of happiness instead of not being enjoyed, enjoying and happy in the present. Yeah. And it caused me to realign what wealth looked like and it set me on a journey of kind of realigning my priorities in life and i realized that wealth really didn't look like what i thought it looked like um and wealth started going down the path of my health my happiness my family my friends my time huge thing there um my spirituality and understanding what spirit realm was because you know am i an eternal or temporal being such an important question anybody should ask themselves probably the most important question you should ask yourself in life because if you are an eternal being you then need to go okay if i'm eternal where do i go when i die what does that look like and so many people they're running after the carrot again and again and again but they're so the lack of enlightenment that they have is so low that they're so unaware psychologically that they can't move themselves to a place of awareness of actually truly finding the happiness and and that's often because we're so lost that we yeah. keep ourselves busy because we don't want to face those emotions and those feelings of feeling lost and yeah. so i went through a period of like maybe two years two and a half years of actual if i'm honest looking back probably depression where i found myself lost and my business suffered and poor staff around me probably felt that and that knock-on effect really set me on a path of kind of trying to work out why am I running this business? Do I even want this business? What am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? What do I want to do with my life? And I ended up in a journey of sort of discovering that in many ways. And that meant sort of journeying with my, my belief system, my, my relationship with God as a Christian, um, even questioning that as well, of course, and going, God, is this definitely you? You know, do I hear you? How do I hear you? What does that look like? Uh, that looked like traveling to different places to explore what that looked like for other people in their lives. Um, that looked like uh, looking after my health. I do a thing called biohacking, which is something I've really been working on and growing into. And then also looking at my time and how I value my time. Um, so, like, for example, I based, based upon some data, I look like I will probably live closer to 100 years. And uh, the knock-on effect of that, I, I worked backwards from there and went, oh, how much time am I spending doing different things with my life? And I realized I would spend about five years of my waking life 
on social media or watching Netflix. And I was like, this is terrible use of my life. Like, is this really, is this really what I'm living for? So I just started cutting these things out of my life. And of course, you suddenly realize you're self-medicating even in the midst of cutting these things out. You've been self-medicating for years. You know, you're bored, so I'll just scroll through Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. And suddenly you realize you're actually an addict. And everybody goes, oh, look at that person doing drugs. Or look at that person, you know, uh, I don't know, having an affair. Or look at that person who's like clearly like not looking after themselves and eating junk food all the time. Or look at that person who's, you know, um, just going and escaping from everyone and doesn't talk, talk to anybody. You know, they're, they're all different coping mechanisms that people have for ultimately yeah. a deeper need of insecurity or fear or something that is that sort of God hole, I think we call, you know, and I think that sort of set me on a journey of kind of searching for that. And I realized I really didn't want to waste five years of my life looking at social media or looking, I mean, I, my own personal social media doesn't have photos of myself anymore. I got rid of it, basically. It's still there so people can contact me, but I'm trying to detach myself from it so that I'm not spending hours and hours on it anymore. Um, and, and that's still a journey for me, you know, because you still find yourself going back to your old addiction. So it's really important to go, why am I addicted? And what is it I'm looking for in those things? And, you know, mm. even those releases of oxytocin in the brain to kind of cause you to feel addicted, you know, you have to like go, okay, how can I find that in a healthier way? So something for me was like, I really loved, and any highly driven person will often want high dopamine fixes. So you want adventure, you want new experiences. You're trying to challenge yourself all the time. Um, and that's particularly uh, prevalent among people that are very driven. And so it's so, so important in your life to like go, well, how can I find those fixes in a healthy way? What do those look like? Does that look like a spiritual experience with God? Does that look like traveling to a new country or doing a new adventure or meeting new people or making new friends? What does that look like? And understanding your needs. So therapy is a great thing for that. Um, therapy is painful, but it's good for you. It helps you grow. And, um, you know, last year I did about six months of quite intense therapy on myself just to kind of help myself process some of these things. Um, even more recently. So growing in emotional awareness and emotional intelligence and understanding the love languages and attachment styles and, you know, the all sorts of different things and that, the different levels of consciousness um, that you'll see, all those kinds of different things that make you so much more aware of why you're making the decisions you make so that you don't live life passively, but you to live life actively, which is so important because when you get on that deathbed, which, you know, probably going to be the case for most of us, um, yeah. unless Jesus comes back, you know, I'm just being honest, like, like the reality is that's probably what it's going to look like. We, we have to look at the regrets and I started looking up, you know, what are the biggest regrets people have when they die? And they go, I didn't spend enough time with my friends and family. I worked too much. I didn't ask myself my right questions in life. I didn't, didn't give myself enough new experiences. So, so I made those, I started making much more conscious decisions about how I'm using my time and living my life and making sure that those times are not wasted. Yeah. All right. So many things I want to dive into here. You mentioned which is very much, very true. Like we're with different carrots, whether it's social media or working really hard in our business or whatever it is, we're trying to fill some sort of a hole in our heart to, is it, you know, is it finally going to be the thing that's going to make me just feel fulfilled? Is it going to be it? So we are like trying to achieve certain things. And if I get this goal, hit this milestone, have this relationship, have the kids, whatever, is it going to fill that hole in my heart? And you mentioned like, hey, that's uh, God created a hole that you can only fill with you know the spirit so I would love to unpack that because I would I would like to say that we're quite disconnected culturally from that in the yeah. west from to the point where you might not believe anything beyond yourself or you're just 
you're just not even thinking about it. Where you're too busy watching a Netflix and scrolling through social and, and working and you have family responsibilities. When are you supposed to think about all this consciousness? So I don't even know where to start unpacking this though. What maybe you mentioned different levels of consciousness. Maybe that's a good framework to start from. What did you mean by that? Okay, we're all in different levels of consciousness. Yeah, let me kind of give a framework. So, I mean, this is just from people I've listened to. Some people may have heard of Mind Valley. It's a kind of a meditation kind of organization that's become quite sizable now. Um, yeah. And the founder of that actually talks about the four levels of consciousness, which I, I found very revealing and very powerful. And, and if you look at like the people that have made the biggest difference in this world, either over generations, you know, Mahatma Gandhi or Nelson Mandela, or, you know, the guy, I can't remember his name, the guy from Apple, I can't remember his name right now. Yes, <laughs> um, Steve Jobs. Yeah, Jobs, how could I forget him? Um, you know, if you look at their lives and what they did and the questions they asked themselves, very interesting you'd see them a lot of times layer four level four consciousness just to go through the four levels of consciousness one level one is where you're kind of a victim to circumstances so you're doing your day job just about to pay on the bills you know typically you'll see someone who's like a victim to the life that's presented to them and they just accept that that's what it is um and they don't have even a consciousness to wake up from that they just carry on doing their nine till five and because society said nine till five even though that didn't exist 100 years ago. But that's another question. That's another thing. Um, but the point I'm making is that um, it was that you're kind of a victim mentality, level one. Level two is where you sort of, you recognize you're a victim. You kind of become awakened to that. And you go, okay, how can I start to fix that? What can I change? Maybe you start doing some business courses or you do something to try and improve your career. So maybe you're trying to train up to be a manager or maybe you're training in business or you might you know, in personal life, you're trying to, you know, become a better father to your children rather than just being a bad dad to your children and wondering why your children are misbehaving all the time. It's a great yeah. example of that. Level three is where you start to realize, oh gosh, now I really need to step it up. Um, I need to make a difference in my life and really start to find fulfillment and start to find the reason why I'm alive and what I'm doing this for and asking your why, you know, I keep talking about the why. Um, yeah. And that's where you start to really challenge yourself. And then it sends you down the rabbit hole. And that rabbit hole is like going into the matrix. It's very uncomfortable. It's painful. (laughs) It's uh, very mentally challenging. You'll find yourself journaling lots. You'll find yourself going through therapy. You'll find yourself unpacking stuff you didn't even know you had from your childhood. And trust me, it's painful. But you start to come out the other side and start to find answers with time. And you're still searching for that, but you start to find answers and out of that, you start to maybe build something in yourself. So, for example, the founder of Mind Valley, he he realized meditation was really helpful for him and helped him come to a place of fulfillment in his life. You know, for me, uh, tapping into my dream life with God was a really powerful revelation for me. So, setting up my sleep so that I dream and hear His voice and have a journal next to me to write down my dreams is another example of that. And then learning how to interpret those dreams and understanding what that means. Like, I, to give you an idea, I live in an apartment looking over the beach. That place I found. From a dream, God showed me that place, even though it wasn't even for sale. From a dream, um, I didn't know this yeah. A few months ago, uh, I I've never been very materialistic. I've always driven really average cars. You've probably seen my my old Suzuki Swift, and I I start hearing God speak to me, say, David, you need to get a nice car. And, and I know this is a God thing because I had another dream a few years ago where God started speaking to me about I want to be an example in uh your life to other people around you the the, the verse john ten ten. i've come to give you life and life abund- abundantly and a lot of christians they will stay in a place of poverty um but if you look at the bible you look at a lot of stories of the bible you look at joseph abraham many characters in the bible solomon 
God would bring them great wealth as a as as a showing off of the goodness of God. And God spoke to me many years ago, said, I'm going to make you that example. And uh, it wasn't in my framework because I was quite happy to work in the slums. I've been to the slums of Lagos and done stuff. It didn't bother me. I'm not bothered about money. But it was like God was like, no, this is actually my plan for you. And this is fine. I want to bless you, which I don't know why. I'm not here to question God, but that was what happened for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recently I got a, a very nice new sports car that looks like a freaking Batmobile. Um, and ironically, I had two random people come up to me. I went up to I went to Bethel, California in Reading. Um, and this guy just comes to comes up to me in the middle of a, a meeting. And he says, I never met him in my life. Doesn't know anything about me. He's never even seen him in my life. And he comes up to me and he says, look, I see you're in business. I see the business is growing, getting faster and faster. Things expanding for you. And I also see this really fast sports car. And he describes the car that I've been looking at buying. And I'm like, what? And then I'm like, so I go to God and I'm like, okay, God, I, this is a bit weird. Like, if this is definitely you to buy this car, because I don't like to spend a lot of money on cars. I don't like the idea of it, like, because yeah. it could be coming across as just wasteful. Um, yeah. And then literally about a month later, I'm in Leicester. I'm at this event and this lady uh, comes up to me and she says, I see this particular location, which was a very personal location for me, physical location that she knew about. God had shown her and I'm like, how do you know about that? And then she says, oh, and I also see this crazy fast sports car. And she starts describing the same car a second time. And I'm like, okay, clearly this is on God's heart. And if it's on God's heart, it's on my heart. So um, yeah, I recently bought a very fancy sports car. and that's not something I would naturally do. I, I won't lie, I still feel like I've got imposter syndrome driving it. But um, the point I'm making is like, sometimes it doesn't look the way you think it looks. And um, finding your answers when you're searching at level three consciousness doesn't always look it. And then level four is the next layer above that. That's where you start to receive that level of consciousness. You start to understand your purpose in life, what you're meant to bring into the world. And then you start to go, how can I, what people have shown me and what, what God showed me or my, my journey and my questions that I've asked myself, now I know who I am, my identity. And there's such an attack. I have to really point this out whilst we're in the conversation. There is such an attack on identity in our culture. It's painful. And so yeah. level three consciousness is so important to building that identity. And it builds you such confidence as a result. And once you start to get to that level of layer three, that's, that's hugely powerful. And then layer four is kind of where you start to go, I'm going to change the world around me. Now, you're not motivated by money. So when you are Steve Jobs... Why did he do what he did? He did it because I want to change the world around me. I want to help people. Um, Bill, uh, Bill Gates talks about this as well. You know, he, he did these things to try and change the next generation of humanity to be able to do things they couldn't do before. Even this, this call we're having over the internet now didn't exist 30 years ago, 40 years ago, because mm. we wanted to change the world and improve it. And so people were motivated to do that from a place of fulfillment, not from a place of obligation, if that makes sense. So... When I, for example, set up my badminton business, I set up my badminton business because I'm a really passionate badminton player and I wanted to help people work out what to buy so people got the right badminton racket so they could play really well. And I also wanted to help them then learn how to play badminton better. And that made me fulfilled because badminton I'm really passionate about. Now, that might not be everybody's cup of tea. Badminton is not most people's favorite sport, you know, but it was something that I knew in myself I could bring to the world. Now, for me, does my badminton business make me loads of money? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But the goal behind that is a place for fulfillment in me that gives something different to the world around me and makes a difference. And some of the most biggest successful entrepreneurs are those that get to stage level four consciousness where they've got this revelation of their identity 
and then they want to establish the benefits of what they've discovered in themselves to the people around them and in the world around them. So, for example, right now, I'm really passionate about a thing called biohacking, which is about the understanding of uh, slowing the speed of DNA and living a healthy life. And so often we live, especially in the UK, we have a reactive healthcare system, the NHS, where people don't go to the NHS until they're sick or the doctors until they're sick. And instead, what we should be doing is looking after our health before it even gets to that stage. And also the benefit of doing that is you also live a more fulfilled life. You have more energy, you sleep better, you're able to live life better, you're able to be more adventurous, you're able to do more and, um, and live a better quality life. And so um, that's something I'm really passionate about right now. And I want to help the people around them to, to see the benefits because I had some health issues a few years ago and coming out of that place and now realizing the benefits of that is something that's huge. Now, I'm not quite as crazy as some of the internet gurus in biohacking. I don't think some of that's all, some of that's quite obsessive and borderline unhealthy, but understanding the core benefits of it can be huge. Um, so we talk about, you know, I'm talking about physical being, I'm talking about your emotional being, I'm talking about your spiritual being, it's all levels of who you are. And every area needs to be addressed informing your identity, informing who you want to be and what you want to bring into the world. And there's nothing more fulfilling in the world than building a legacy that then makes a change. You know, some people build legacy through having children, investing in their children. Some people build legacy through building a business. There are different ways of building legacy. Um, you know, some people it's planting trees in a rainforest and making a difference in that way, or looking after the local uh, pets place that you're doing at the moment. You know, those are all ways of doing it. And that's, you know, God's put something on your heart, Bendy, to go, I love animals. I want to nurture animals. I want to care for them. And so that's a beautiful thing. Is that my biggest passion? No, I do appreciate animals, but it's not my biggest passion, but it's something that's in you that fulfills you. And I would just say to anybody, look at what you love as a child. Like I used to love growing plants as a child. I used to love plants, just watering them and seeing them growing and propagating them and having more. My poor mother, you see like 30, 40 spider plants in my bedroom. And I used to give them out to people because I get so many. And, but it was even as a child, I loved nurturing. And that was something that taught me, ah, what fulfills me is nurturing. So I, whatever I do in my life, I need to nurture, whether that's future children that I might have one day or, uh, family or um, friends or business or maybe one day a wife or wh whatever that looks like that all those areas are areas of nurture that would express my heart's design and my identity and I, I just think so I, I would really really encourage your viewers to come out of that place of layer one layer two of, of sort of uh, I don't know, mental awareness to move into layer three where you go down the rabbit hole and you take yeah. risks and you ask yourself uncomfortable questions. You take away your self-medication of looking at social media or trying to get your latest yeah. dopamine fix and really challenge yourself and to feel uncomfortable and discover those those questions and those journeys. And obviously, I'm not asking people to agree with me. You know, I'm very open-minded. You know, I know I have some opinions that people would find offensive. I'm not here to tick the boxes for other people. This is my journey. This is my truth. I'm not here to put that truth on you. But I want to encourage people to ask the right questions so they do start to find truth. And I genuinely believe that by doing that, you will find stuff that probably will align with me. You might find stuff that doesn't, but that's good because then I can ask questions about what you found. And, it, and it's all about journeying that together and finding people who will willingly journey with you. And I, I know you and me, we've, we've asked those questions of each other, haven't we? And spent time yeah. together in journeying those things. So, um, you know, I, I don't want for one minute to think I'm closed-minded and saying that what I see right now is the truth in any way and I, I don't want other people listening to this to think that either yeah and and we'll touch upon different things i will want to speak about identity politics understanding who we are just one thing i wanted to kind of not even challenge just highlight uh let's say level four just because let's say you're super uber successful when it comes to your financial wealth 
for sure, there's a lot of people who come from a place of service and like there's a change I want to impact. Like I just have to do this no matter what. I have to do this. And abundance and wealth comes to me. I am quite certain though there are plenty of people who also do it from a place of ego. And, you know, if we look at like light versus the dark, there's a lot of like, let's say, players in this world who are more, I would say, on the dark side. And they are they might be financially wealthy, but I wouldn't say they're always coming from that best intentions of yes I want to serve humanity there are plenty of people making money and be like let me control people let me build this thing I'm going to control all of you so there's way more ego I'm like I'm going to be that thing or that person who's controlling all of that so just like I just wanted to differentiate that because there's for sure a lot of goodness in people who are creating and just yeah sharing what's on their heart and receiving abundance for it and there's also the the other side that is quite obvious in this day and age as well. <laughs> I think that's a very good point and I'm glad you said that because you are right. Yeah and so let's say level three you're like you're encouraging people to start asking the uncomfortable questions and you are already prefacing that this is going to be painful, uncomfortable, it's a rabbit hole though I mean I haven't I don't think I have met a person who hasn't had these questions on their mind meaning like who am I? Why am I? Where am I? what's the point like you said like you reached a financial milestone that made you ask like why am i doing this business wait what like like because up until that point you were just like you're we're all working towards something and we're just busy in that we're just we're doing the thing doing the activity so when you get to this stage of let's say you're starting to ask questions and starting to get dark you mentioned okay looking back there was probably like two years of a depression so this is getting dark because you're like questioning the meaning of life big question so where does one go for answers? Because it, especially if you don't know other people around you who have journeyed there, uh, you're like, am I the only one going crazy? Nothing matters, right? Because that is the, like, you can go to extreme. Nothing matters. A life has no meaning. I've spoken to those people who, they, that's the conclusion they have to, life has no meaning. Be happy with it. And I was like, I do not accept that. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> And I don't think that's true. So given that you can go both ways from here, and again, you openly talk about, you know, your beliefs and being Christian. And I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you were a youth pastor as well. From your perspective, what would you be advising someone who, let's say, it doesn't matter at what age you're starting to question this, but let's say you're, you're at the stage right now in your life, you're questioning things and you have no experience with handling these questions and you don't know so just anyone answer, are you asking like where to start or how to go down that rabbit hole is that what you're trying to ask me yeah yes like where like you're now questioning all these things and it's getting dark okay what am i supposed to read or pick up or right. look into because i'm just right now pure lost my old life is meaningless i'm lost right so i think number one being community and friendships is really important in the middle of this journey and ideally trying to find people that you can share your journey with, even if they're in a different place of their lives. Um, you know, not everybody's going to be in that same place that you might be. Um, but having someone who's able to listen to you and try and understand and empathize where you're at. So make sure as you're going down that rubber hole, you've got someone, you know, some people are internal processes, some are external processes. I'm more of an external processor myself. So I needed friends to talk with about this stuff. So the first thing I say is put yourself in community, whatever that community looks like, wherever you're at in your world and your life, try and find people who are. And if you can't find it in the immediate place, go where other people who are searching for the same questions look. So, you know, search on YouTube, search on Facebook groups, um, 
experiment by going to new places that maybe you wouldn't have gone before that are maybe spiritual places so like for me it looked like going to different churches i even went to a spiritualist church which most christians would jump on my back for but i wanted to see what that looked like because i wanted to see how they connected with the spirit realm because i was like the tools are the same irrelevant it's just what you choose to connect with so have an open heart and an open mind um do use your discernment and if something doesn't feel right listen to your heart like i'd say number one start listening to your intuition like so often we're taught in especially in western culture use your left brain your logic but actually yeah. as you develop you want to use your right brain and your emotion and your intuition and that's super hard when all you've been trained through school is using logic 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 so we're taught algebra we're taught you know math english or science all these things are using left brain logic and there's no there's very few classes where they focus you know they, they put art at the bottom of your list of classes at school they put sport barely low down your list so the creative arts are things that are nurturing emotions they don't even teach you like how to socially engage with people and there's so many people coming out of school and college and they don't really know how to build a conversation you know i'm like why do people not teach this stuff you know why do people not teach money skills and how to look after your money that's another story but the point i'm making is that learn to use your intuitive side now how do you engage with your intuitive side is the next question well what draws the emotions music movies how many times have you watched a movie and you come out of it and you're like questioning the meaning of life from it you know I'm sure there's a few mind-bending films you probably see. I remember when I was younger, I saw Gladiator the first time, and there's this point where at the end of Gladiator, you know, you see Maximus walking through this field of, of wheat after he's just died. And I remember going, you know, and it shows you the afterlife in, in yeah. you know, Gladiator. And I remember the presence of God just falling upon me so powerfully in the cinema. And like the presence, I found the electric presence of God was all over me. I felt the Holy Spirit like crazy. And I was just like in this experience. And I remember later, like, I remember downloading the whole like music music album of that particular movie and lying in my bed and just going holy spirit god touch me and the prince of god will fall over me and then uh out of that place i would then go into visionary states so i'd start practicing going to visionary states and i just let my imagination go in places i just relax i wouldn't force it just lie there if nothing happened nothing happened sometimes i fall asleep sometimes they go into visionary states sometimes engage in the prince of god and feel the prince of god all over me it looked in different things so i would put myself in a place where I, I create a space in my life. So the second thing is outside community, create space in your life. Now, what does create space in your life look like? Create space means being still. Being still in our culture is so uncomfortable. So be prepared at this point to feel uncomfortable because we're constantly told to go, 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 do, 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 and never stop. And I, I'm still guilty of this. So I'm not here preaching like I know how to do it. I'm still on this journey. So I really want to be clear. I am not there yet. I'm on that journey myself. Um, and you will have convictions about those areas. So for me, as I mentioned earlier, that was looking like deleting Netflix. That looked like getting rid of a lot of my social media. And that's not to say I won't be back on social media. It just means that my identity is not wrapped up in social media. I'm not wasting my time trying to get lots of likes, you know, none of this stuff. Um, and I realized that that in part of me was forming part of my identity. And so many people, when you're young, your identity is formed by the peers around you not by what maybe your father says about you or what god says about you and mm -hmm. i think if you can begin to go down that path of discovering that side of things that can be very powerful um and i think asking yourself and then when you create that space then asking yourself the right questions so what are the questions to ask am i a ter temporal or eternal being if i'm eternal where do i go when i die and what does that look like and and putting yourself in different environments and cultures you know obviously my conclusion for me has been jesus I, I genuinely believe Jesus is 
the Messiah. And I've come to that conclusion through testing and practice and hearing his voice and seeing multiple things happen in my life that back this evidence up. Not just, I, I come from parents of two, two mum and a dad who met doing their PhDs, one in chemistry, one in physics. So hugely logical family. So I'm talking to someone from a very logical background, a very intelligent background. But I've really recognized the importance of the intuitive and learning to engage in the intuitive. And if you go to other cultures, you know, go to India, go to much of Africa, Asia, you'll see a lot more of uh, appreciation, of, appreciation of that side of the brain, that side of culture. Now, I don't agree with a lot of some of the things in those cultures, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, but there is some truth in those places as well. And truth is truth irrelevant of what we think. But I, for me personally, I come to the ultimate truth that, you know, Jesus was either a madman or he was the savior of the world. And he's either one or the other. And from my personal experience, and I'm not here to tell everybody else what to think, you've got to go on your own journey and ask your own questions. And I would encourage everybody to do that because once you own it, it's so much more powerful when you own the revolution than someone else telling you. Um, but for me, that was the conclusion I came to, that Jesus was the savior of the world and would forgive my sins. And he died on the cross for me and what he said is truth. And there's a reason why some things don't always add up. You know, we, we have that whole suffering question, for example, why do people suffer? But if you study it properly and you spend time understanding the whys behind that, you, you will come to a conclusion that, get, for me, I found closure and clarity on mm-hmm. um, and peace with. And actually, I, can't, I, I can say I'm like, I don't want to be saying I'm 100% sure, but I am as close as sure as I could be about this, this particular truth for me. And it's so assure, reassuring to go through life, you know, some people are so desperate to find their their other half, you know, their husband or their wife with their lives, or you know, they're so desperate. But like, you know what? I think ugh, there couldn't be more something more important with your life than going, knowing where you're gonna, what you're gonna do, and where you're gonna go when you die. I just think that's so, so, so important because that's your eternal life. That's your eternal being. That's where you're gonna be. If you're eternal, that's that's it. There is no better question you can ask with your life than that. But it's so uncomfortable. And I just would encourage you to be around people that have learned how to be uncomfortable, learned how to do that, learned to go on that journey. Maybe people that are a bit older than you, maybe that have been on that journey um, and are willing to journey with you in those uncomfortable questions. Um, yeah. Like one way I did that was I bought a motorhome last year and I drove around in my motorhome and I'd park my motorhome up at some random place near the beach and I'd get my little notepad back out and I would not fill the space. I'd have silence in the back of my motorhome. I'd be engaging with my emotions that were very uncomfortable. I'd write down what my thoughts were, my questions, and then I'd write down those questions. And then kind of, if those questions that needed research, I'd research those questions. If they were stuff I needed to solve in my own heart, I would solve it in my own heart. So some of that is alone and some of that is in community, but I would say you need the two together to help you journey on that path. And, and having friends that don't agree with you as well. Like I've got friends who definitely have a difference of view to me completely. And I'm actually, I embrace it. I'm not against people who have different views to me. You know, I really respect people with different views to me. Even if I disagree with their views, I'm not here to judge them. You know, I'm here to honor and respect them and also listen to them because maybe there's something of truth that they've got that I've missed. Um, so I listening to them and really listening, not just uh, being like, yeah, 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 well, you disagree with me. So I'm, you know, so often we live life through a stained glass window and we don't realize we do it um, and we see everything that way. And, and if you can have a mindset of, I need to take those blinders off, those things that society has trained me my whole life, for example, I need to work till nine till five is a great example, you know, on a Monday to Friday, you know, um, or I can't just get on a plane and travel to the other side of Europe for 30 pounds on a flight because, oh, that'd be too far away or it'd be too much stress or whatever. You know, those are the mindsets that you have to kind of take off of your brain if you've never traveled, for example, you know, and that's when you start living life. And at the very least, 
you feel more alive at times. You'll find periods where you're so alive and so happy and so fulfilled and like, oh, this is what life's about. You may not find all your answers, but sometimes there are like little oases along that journey of that painful rabbit hole where you're just like, oh, I love this, or I found this person, or I found this place, or this makes me really fulfilled. I remember for me, that looked like when I started seeing the first miracles and healings. I didn't know if healings and miracles were a thing of today. I was like, I've read it in the Bible. I've read people talk about it. And I remember praying to God one night and I remember God, I remember going, God, I don't want to read any more books about healings and miracles. I'm done. Like if this is, I'm done. And I remember like praying this prayer to God this one night and I was going to this meeting and, uh, and in the middle of this meeting, this guy at the front says, oh, and he had what's called a word knowledge where he said there was two people in the meeting, one with a knee pain and one with a trap nerve in the back. And the moment he said trap nerve in the back, the Holy Spirit, God spoke to me straight away and said, you're meant to pray for that person now. And I'm like, I don't even know who this guy's a leader. Like, what? And I remember freaking out about it and thinking, what do I do? And I remember going up to the front of the meeting and saying, look, I'm not the guy with the back pain, but if there's someone with the back pain, would you let me pray for them? And thankfully, the leader, although he didn't really know me, was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And this guy comes forwards with the back pain. And I remember thinking, okay, here goes. And I previously, when I prayed, I'd be like, please, God, would you help this person? I'd be very English, very polite, very gentle. And um, and I remember there's this thing in the Bible where it talks when the gift of faith comes upon you. And and the only way I can describe it is it's like, you know, when you go on a dread, like you've got a massive adrenaline rush, you go on like a theme park ride and you're like, <gasps> and you come off it and you're like, whoa, that was mad. Well, it was felt like that. My heart was pumping like crazy. And I remember I, I laid my hands on his shoulder and I obviously asked him if he was okay with that. And being classical English polite person that I am. And then I prayed completely differently. I didn't pray like, please, God, would you make me better? I'm like, in the name of Jesus, you're getting peeled right now. And I was like, who the heck is this guy? I sound like some crazy, like, American preacher dude or, like, some cheesy TV channel. And I remember thinking, like, what the heck got into me? And I freaked out. And I remember after I stopped praying for him, and I was praying, like, proper, like, almost shouting, like, so certain it was going to happen. And I'm like, I'm never like this. And I remember afterwards freaking out and I came back into myself and like this adrenaline rush lifted off me and I suddenly was like, um, uh, I, 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 how do you feel? Are you okay? And I, and I remember like feeling really like self-conscious about it. And he was like, felt his back. And I was like, and he was like, yeah, it, it's good. Anyway, I remember walking back to my mate, Chris, and I remember going, Chris, Chris, I just saw my first healing, my first miracle. And then of course my whole logical brain kicks in and I'm like, nah, I can't be real. Can't be real. Nah, nah, it's probably him just being polite, you know? Because he felt pressure in the moment to say the right thing. So I remember going back to Chris and I remember, I remember doubting myself. So I went right back over to the guy 10 minutes later. And I said to him, look, and nobody was around at this point. He wasn't near any in front of anybody. And I said, look, dude, I don't mean to sound stupid here, but can I ask you a genuine question? Are you actually genuinely better? And did you have that problem? And he said, yes, I couldn't jump up and down before. I couldn't move my back properly. I had a trap nerve in my back. And, and then he jumped up and down in front of me and moved his back and was like, it's completely gone. I'm completely healed. And thank you. And I was like, at that point, the penny dropped and I went, oh my gosh, miracles are real. And that sent me down another rabbit hole in itself. We won't talk about that one right now. <laughs> For the next episode. Okay. I'm loving, I love hearing these stories. And I also know that there's going to be a lot of people watching this. They're like, oh, well, great for you, Dave. You already like, seems like you already have been on this path of believing in God and and connecting and you're just like going down different avenues and getting even more connected and apparently God speaks to you and you get visions and all of that somebody who's at a place where like well I even I don't know if I believe in God yet but I'm having these questions I don't think the the way I've been living my life is fulfilling up until this point 
I don't know what I believe yet. I'm open to learn. I don't know where I fall yet. Where would somebody like that get started? They're open to exploring, but they probably need baby steps and not to be like, have this expectation like, okay, well, suddenly like crazy things are going to happen, which might, but maybe they won't. So they just want to explore. They don't want to feel overwhelmed that they're supposed to have all the answers. They have no idea what they're doing. Okay. So. Do you know what the honest truth is? I actually don't have the answer for that because I've not been in that position and I'd be a hypocrite to answer that question. Mm, fair. And that sounds fair. so unusual to, cause like, you know, you go in these, these sessions and you hear these people that you speak to and they often sound like they know everything. I actually don't know the answer to that because I've not been in that position. I've always been very aware of God for myself. And that's something I've always had a very high consciousness of, and I can't escape from that. As a child, mm-hmm. I would experience, I experienced hell in dreams. I experienced heaven in dreams. I was very aware of the spiritual world. I'd see angels. I had angelic encounters. I'd seen demons. I had the same thing. Now, I know that's not normal. I'll happily admit it's not normal. It's not the average person's experience. So I'm not here to talk to someone as though I know because it would be hypocritical of me. So I'm sorry. I don't have the answer for that. (laughs) I I appreciate that you're being very genuinely honest about it. I'm wondering if you have resources. So you haven't been in that position yourself. Is there resources of what you even recommend? Maybe watch this video, see if it resonates. Maybe it doesn't. You know, this is just a couple of things maybe that you encountered along the way that might be yeah. an easy beginning for someone understanding so, Christianity. Yeah. So resources wise, I would definitely encourage you. And I don't want to just talk in the context of Christianity. I want to talk in the context of searching because I'm, I think it's so important with the audience that you're talking about people. If they're listening to you, they're searching. And, yeah. um, and I don't want to make it about like, Hey, everyone believe in Jesus, because I actually believe this is a much bigger question that may lead you to that. But I think, you know, there's, there's much more about that journey that will get you there anyway. And that's obviously my conclusion. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be, I don't want to kind of put my views on someone. Yeah. I think they, they have to ask their own questions and ask their own journey. Um, I personally would say, put yourself in a position where you're around people who have a discovery of truth around them and genuinely so for example don't i mean example in a christian context because i can give you that um don't put yourself in a church where it's dead what do i mean dead i mean where there's a lot of religion there's a lot of like sit up sit stand up pray in a certain way do the religious thing that looks the right on the outside but actually if you ask that person who's leading that meeting when did you last hear jesus when did you last hear the holy spirit when did you last hear god speak to you and what does that look like on a daily basis? If they can't answer that question with clarity, don't be around them. You need to be around people who have gone on that journey and hear God and know God and can talk about it in a way that they can then present to you. It's a bit like me going, I could say to you, hey, Australia is amazing. But I've, if I've never been to Australia, but I can tell you how it's shaped as a country and there's kangaroos and there's koalas and they're really cute and cuddly. But I've never cuddled a koala. I've never seen a kangaroo. I've never been in the hot weather Australia. I'm a hypocrite. And so I would say to you, like, put yourself around anybody who has had experiences that can help you then connect in. So like, if you're around me, I could show you how I get into the presence of God. I could practically show you. I could show you what it looks like. So for me, that I'll tell you now. So that looks like for me, putting uh, instrumental music on, not just pure word music on, because words then fill my mind. Sometimes it can be good for guiding me in. So when I'm trying to get in the presence of God, that looks like music. And I tend to find it's like music. So a great example would be the Gladiator theme tune music. If we want to talk about the Gladiator because we talked about that earlier. 
um, I would lie in my bed. I'd, I'd put myself in a surrendered posture. So I, sometimes I'd even put my hand on my heart or I'd put my arms out by my side. Now, here's the really key moment. All of those things are outward, religious things. The key thing is what happens in my heart. How do I deal with that? This is what it looks like. I emotionally do this. <sighs> I can't let, I, I let go. I let go. And I just go, Jesus, I need you. Come, Holy Spirit. I cannot do this in my strength. Come. And I just lie there. And I wait for the presence of God to come. And I don't stress about it. I don't rush it. And especially if you've not experienced the presence of God, that's very alien to you. It will take you a while to do it. Or if you're out of practice. I remember a few years ago, my dad, he used to know God really close. And I remember he saying to me, David, I can't get, I can't feel the presence of God. And I remember sat next to him at home and I was trying to re-educate him on how to connect with the Holy Spirit. And he almost had to relearn. And the problem is if you've lost that God connection, it takes a while to find that connection, especially if you've never had it. It's like disconnect that you've got to especially if you've never had it you've kind of got to search all around before you find it once you've got it it's easier to lock in so like i mean i'm not as good now but there, there was periods where i could probably get into the presence of god in about eight seconds like within eight seconds i could close my eyes and i'd connect in the presence of god and i could feel his presence on my body like tangibly you'd see the hairs on my hat my arm go up as the presence of god came upon me you could physically see it but obviously there was an emotional and spiritual aspect that was going on at the same time and the more you practice, the more you can get more connected with God. It's like plugging in a plug into a, an, into a wall and you plug into the electricity and the presence and the love of God. And suddenly it fills you up and suddenly you feel whole and you connect into that. And I think like that is something that every human being has to do. It Sometimes it's easier with words, especially at the beginning, if you don't know how to connect into God's presence. So that can look like um, having a, a song that really resonates with where you're at in life. Um yeah. Or, and it, do you know what? It doesn't have to be a Christian song as such. I remember listening to Robbie Williams' Angel years ago. Robbie Williams is definitely not a Christian guy. But I remember feeling the presence of God all over me every time that song would come on. And, like, the Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. So he gives it to you whether you like it or not. So the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable on you, Bendy, whether you believe in God or not. And so the result is that you were very anointed to then... You know, you're very gifted in what you do with your media. A great example of someone maybe right now in modern day culture would be someone like Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber always had a huge gifting and anointing in his life um, to lead people into music and into an experience in music. And uh, as a result, obviously attracted lots of women because women love their emotions being nurtured. And now he's become a Christian. And I actually saw him live last year. And, um, and the Prince God will just fall in the middle of this massive concert and i remember just feeling the presence of god so powerfully all over my body as he was leading these songs and some of these were christian songs some were not but the presence of god there was just a calling and anointing on his life that was there irrelevant of whether he believed in god now at that point in time he did believe in god before then he didn't but the gifts and the callings were still there so like engage with that um and i would just say like look at it doesn't have to look like a religious thing like what we think it looks like it doesn't have to look like organs or any of this you know, it, it, God wants to connect with you in, in your language, in your way. And if that looks like lots of heavy metal, that's heavy metal. That looks like uh, orchestras and orchestras, do orchestras. If that looks like, you know, Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift, it can, God uses anything. Like, that's what's amazing about God. He doesn't use a framework of our own understanding. And I, I just want to say that, like, I, I've got a friend who, that she was walking in the middle of a forest and God just spoke to her just like that. And suddenly she knew God. Uh, you know, 
it, it can look like, and she wasn't listening to any music, and she finds God in walking in nature. Um, I've got another friend who feels God, it's like a fuzziness in the back of her head. I feel it like electricity. So it, it's not the same for everyone. And just because one person has a certain experience doesn't mean your experience is invalid. And it's super important not to just, you know, if you're not having that electricity that I feel, that doesn't make your connection with God invalid. It just means that you're wired differently. And everybody's wired slightly differently to connect with God in their own way. Um, and some have a certain way and some have another. And that's okay. It doesn't all have to look the same. And as humans, we love to box things and make it look like this. And then it looks like that. And, and if it works like this, then we copy it and then create the same thing. But the copy is never the same as the original thing. Um, you know, try, take the number of manufacturers that have tried to copy the Apple iPhone. None of them have succeeded as well. So the Apple iPhone stays the same, the most popular phone out there right now. Um, so I think it's really, really important to recognize that just because my experience looks like a certain framework doesn't look the same framework for you. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that. And I'm thinking about the beginning stages. So, cause you said, okay, lay down in, in, in the bed, keep your hands in your heart. They don't feel almost comfortable. They're like, I don't know if I want to call upon Jesus, Holy Spirit. I don't know. I don't know yet if I'm there, I want to understand this. So I know there is like, I mean, there's one Bible, but so many versions of it, so many translations, shall I say, right? right? So right. do you have particular ones maybe you can recommend that are easy to read? You yeah. know, if someone's like, okay, well, yeah. how can I judge before knowing what it is, right? But like yeah. many will say, okay, this is too long, complicated to read. Something easy Bible material, if there is such a thing, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I definitely give you that. I mean, the very simple thing, it's called the message. Bible translation. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a story version of the Bible without all the thieves and thous and the complicated words. And I would strongly recommend when you do start reading it, read the first four chapters of the New Testament. There's two sections of the Bible, there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, and those four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they talk about the journey of Jesus' life. And I think that's a very inspiring place to start to understand what Christianity is founded upon, where it comes from. Um, and the message is a very easy, user-friendly way. And the second thing is, I would say, when you do do that, uh, engage with your imagination and don't read it like a normal book. Read it like you're entering into an experience. And this will massively transform your ability to connect with God as well. So as you go into that experience and you imagine you're there in that crowd with Jesus doing that thing, it will build a faith and a hope in your heart that will then enable you to connect with God. Um, and most people will read Bible like a book and it's not a normal book. It's a living book. And if you understand how to do that, and, and I had that encounter where I had an encounter where I went up to heaven and came back and I got shown like how the Bible, the, the chapters of each book was like you enter in like a door, you know how like a door opens? It was like the Bible is like a door it opens. And I remember God showing me that the, every chapter of the Bible is like a different door you walk through and you need to walk through the door into the experience of what that chapter of that Bible is. So I would say like use your imagination and imagine you're entering into a door as you read that part of the Bible. That will make something come alive. You know, it, it makes your imagination come alive. It will enable you to engage your logical brain into an emotive state to enable theta brain waves, which then enable you to connect with God. Okay, beautiful. And I actually just remembered, I just started watching this, I think a week ago. There is a TV show called The Chosen. I don't know if you've heard about it. Oh, of course I've heard of The Chosen, um, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're in that community. Of course you have. <laughs> anyway, I'm new to it. Um, so that's an easier way potentially to also learn the stories and it's available for free so if you just let you google the chosen um i think it was angel studios that is uh they have available for free. chosen is a great way of actually 
and they've done such an amazing job and it's super professional it's i i feel like i'm watching a netflix series like it's actually quite yeah. addictive yeah. like it is i it actually is. watch it it. I was like, oh my god, it is is this a Netflix show? <laughs> it was like the quality is outstanding. It's absolutely outstanding. Yeah. And like I you wouldn't know. Like you wouldn't know. And actually, even if like whether I believe in God or not, I actually enjoy watching that show. Irrelevant of believing in God or anything. It's actually quite yeah. good to watch. It's quite fun. It's quite a cool story. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah, I, I I mean it's just fun to watch. But like, yeah, it could definitely open up some understanding of understanding God and they they do a very good job of presenting it in a way that I, I very much align with. And they've actually got another show that came out not long ago, a movie they actually made as well, Angel Studios, which you might want to check out. And it's all about um, how in the 70s and 80s in the Bible in California, um, these guys just were hippies doing all these psychedelic experiences, doing magic mushrooms, LSD, all these kinds of things, and really searching for God and how these guys went to a place of searching and found God and then how to influence culture around them. Amazing little story by, uh, uh, called, uh, about a guy called Lionel Frisbee, who um, mm -hmm. went on that journey in the 70s and 80s. So do look up Angel Studios. I can't remember the name of the particular movie. Maybe okay. you can put it in the notes after this particular session. But that was a very fun, that was a very cool movie as well. So they, they've done some epic stuff, actually. Um, so yeah, if you want to just watch something that's quite fun for a night with your mates, um, that's quite fun as well. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, this has been wonderful Dave like I love having these conversations I feel like we could go on we just like for the longest time just talking about like consciousness and spirituality so where I would love to leave this is just and I know this is going to change you're still on a journey you're still exploring but right now like what is your take on well what is the purpose of life what's your like what's the purpose of being here why are we here I mean answer it for yourself and maybe if you can for us as a whole, as a humanity, your purpose, joy, and us humans. Okay, so the Bible says all of creation yearns for humans to come alive. Like all of all of all of nature yearns for humanity to come alive. Um, my personal view is probably slightly unusual, but I do think it's completely biblical. But I'm going to just present it how I see it. If you look at society around us, we love Harry Potter, we love the Marvel films, we love um, these superhero things, and it's all about humanity becoming greater than what we are right now. We want to have some supernatural experience, some superpower to make a difference. And that is the human heart desiring to become greater than what we are. And, uh, and if you look at scripture in Genesis, it talks about, about subduing creation. Adam and Eve were and are called to subdue creation and nurture it and um, and master it. And unfortunately, if you read the story, they didn't quite succeed in that journey, which is why the need for Jesus came along. Um, and the Bible says, when Jesus was asked how to pray, it says, Our Father in heart in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And, and I really believe that if we can, our purpose is if we can connect with heaven, we find who we are. And if we connect with heaven, we can establish that on earth. And it talks about that in the book of Revelation, how at the end of, a, end of time, there'll be a new earths and new heavens, and we'll be rulers and reigners in the new earths and new heavens. And so I think there's part of the purpose of life is to come into a place of connection with love, number one, and really learning to be loved and to love. And out of that place of nurture of being loved and loved, uh, you come to a place of being able to 
fulfill your purpose and your purpose will look like different things in different areas to what you're made so i love plants so that might look like growing plants for me um and building a rainforest i don't know what that looks like but like um but i think a big part of our purpose is having a god connection and i think that fulfills a big hole in a lot of people's hearts and lives and i think that's absolutely essential so i i I think for me personally like god connection i i can't tell you i feel more fulfilled ever than when i'm in the presence of god lying on my bed in that presence that's probably the most loved i feel the most fulfilled i feel the most nurtured the most whole i feel and uh and i can experience that within a church environment but i can also experience that in my bedroom on my own praying and stuff so i would just say like number one is learning to connect with god um is a really big purpose and then understanding what your purpose out of your identity formed in god is and that looks different for every single person but i believe that looks like uh in some way establishing cool things around the world around you in the way that you're passionate about so if you're passionate about animals go after looking after animals if you're passionate about plants plants if you're passionate about business business if you're passionate about surfing surfing whatever it is it's like you know and stepping out and creating new things and doing new cool things to just change the world around you i think that that's a very fulfilling thing that is you know will give you life purpose and also building a legacy i think that's a really important thing you know whether that being having children or passing on what you've built to the people the generation ahead of you that enables them and empowers them to to step on your shoulders and continue building you know so often we learn to put people down but if we can learn to honor people and build that build them up and let them run after us there's nothing more satisfying than you're running and then you pass the van and they run further ahead of you and you're like i made that happen they might be seeing the glory and everybody's noticing them but you know that you were the foundation that enabled them to do that in the first place and i can say that in my own life my parents were amazing for me growing up and that's why i was so successful in business because they nurtured me and i'm running from their coattails they honored me in that area of my life and help me grow to where I am today because of that. I'm loving this. So I know you're not really on social media right now, but for those listening who would love to follow your journey and just what you're doing in business as well, what is the best way for them to reach out or just like stay in touch somehow? Maybe you're going to be back. I don't know. <laughs> They're hiding right now. So I probably need to update my LinkedIn thing as I've got a five-year-old picture on there. So I'll probably do that after this call at some point. So if you search me on LinkedIn, David Tuttleby, um, you'll find me that way. I've got a very unique surname, Tuttleby. Um, so not many people with that surname. Um, I, yeah, you probably won't find me very easily on Facebook or on Instagram. So that's probably the best way I would say. Um, Trying to think how else. Yeah, that's, that's honestly probably the best way at this point in time, yeah. And anyone who's like, hey, I'm curious to check out these businesses Dave has built. So what are the what are the um, websites for the businesses? Yeah, sure. So um, the legacy business that I'm still running in the skate industry is skates.co.uk. The badminton business is badmintonhq.co.uk. And then the tennis business is tennishq.co.uk. I'm loving this. Well, this was amazing, Dave. Really appreciate you coming on. Dave was ignoring me first. I'm going to already say out loud until I got him on to share his journey and just potentially touch someone's heart to ask the question and it's really lovely to chat to you Bundy. thank you so much for for inviting me on it's been a pleasure i love this so yeah thank you dave and we're probably going to do another one later on even a deeper deep dive into this consciousness yeah hopefully we'll catch up soon when you're back in england or something i guess
Exactly. I'm all, I'm all over the place. Everyone knows that. I'm open about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I know you are. Don't worry. Beautiful. Okay. So thank you so much, Dave. And until next time. Cheers. Thank Bye. you. Bye.